Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. It's September 28th. I'm your host, Christine Hargis, and calling into Rainy Fool HQ in Alexandria, Virginia, is Motley Fool healthcare writer Todd Campbell. Welcome, Todd. Hi, and I'm calling in from Rainy, New Hampshire, so <laughs> I guess it's a gloomy gray day everywhere. It is. Before we get into today's show, I want to thank this episode's sponsor. This podcast is brought to you by Pearl Auto, which makes wireless rear view cameras for your car that retrofit around your license plate and sync with your smartphone so that you can drive more safely. Check it out at pearlauto.com fool and get free two-day shipping applied at checkout. This product is basically a set of rearview cameras that fit around your license plate, and it syncs with your smartphone. I got to try it out earlier this week on the Fullmobile, which is actually a thing, and it was actually really useful. I felt way safer using it. Soon, rearview cameras are actually going to be mandatory on all new cars, but with Pearl Auto, you don't have to buy a whole new car to drive safely. So today, we want to do a very practical episode about how to save money on healthcare costs. So somewhat of a, an intersection between personal finance and healthcare. And I figured we would start with some general tips on lowering expenses and then go into talking about some different insurance strategies, whether you're still working or whether you're retired. But let's start with the most basic question. Why talk about healthcare expenses and saving money there? I'm really excited about this show because I think that this is while we we tend to dive in on the show into different drugs and medications and the business end of it. This is an opportunity for us to to reach out to our listeners and be able to say, okay, listen, you know, we recognize how expensive healthcare is in terms of insurance and premiums, in terms of prevent of, of the cost of care and drugs, et cetera. And we want to make sure that we're offering to you whatever tips we can to help stretch your dollar further so that you know you don't face some of these kind of, uh, I guess, the, the issues of financial security you know once you once you reach your golden years. You know, we, in preparation for the show, I, I went back and I, I took a look at just some basic statistics. and they're they're pretty uh, they're pretty scary, Christine. I bet, yeah, what did you find? Well, for one, you know, the average person is running into retirement with just barely over $100,000. But, you know, averages can be very misleading, right? Because, you know, you've got a lot of people that maybe have, you've got a very few people with a lot of money and maybe that's skewing, skewing that number higher. You have to remember that very, very, a significant percentage of people are heading into their retirements with less than $20,000. And you know that's just simply not going to be enough if you're dealt a you know an in, suffer an injury or you, or or you face some sort of a healthcare crisis like cancer for example, you know for you know if you look at bankruptcy statistics, you know roughly three out of um, I think it's three percent of all bankruptcies are cancers alone, but you know five I think it's three out of five bankruptcies are caused by medical bills. I mean so. The, you know, you talk about from the from the standpoint of okay, Americans are having to pay more and more money every year for health care. How do you prepare for that? 
Exactly. One of the things that I saw in my research was that the average couple turning 65 today will spend $250,000 on health care in their retirement, which sounds like a lot, and it is. But the statistic that startled me even more was that the average person who's 10 years away from retirement will spend an estimated $464,000 on health care right. in retirement. Right. And we'll, you know, we'll talk about this later on, but that doesn't even include long-term care. Exactly. Yeah, there are so many different things to consider. And while, as you pointed out earlier, a lot of times on this show, we talk about blockbuster drugs and bringing in so much revenue. Um, we're kind of putting ourselves on the opposite side of the table today and saying, as a consumer of these potentially very expensive drugs and, and insurance plans and everything that goes along with healthcare, how can you save more money and hopefully be able to use that money to invest in some of the companies that come up on this show? So, getting into the nitty gritty, I think the first thing that I, I want to start with is shopping around. And this is so important for every single aspect of healthcare. And we'll talk later about shopping around for insurance options. But let's start with shopping around for the medications that you need and drugs. Yeah, it, people will probably be pretty surprised, but there's a very wide uh, range of prices that you can pay for prescription medicine depending on where you get it filled. You know, the price that you may pay at a CVS, for example, may be very different than the price that you could pay at, say, Costco or Walmart, depending upon that drug. So it's very important for, uh, for consumers to think about, you know, what medications am I regularly getting filled? Are they generics or are they brand name drugs? And if they're generics, especially, Make sure you check out those big box retail stores because places like Walmart and Target and even some supermarkets have deals where they offer you know prescriptions uh, for less than five dollars on many generic drugs. So there's some some significant savings that can be accomplished that way. There's a website actually, Christine, called GoodRx, which allows you to search by where you live and find out different prices of medications uh, within your area. And that can be helpful as well. Sometimes they have um, coupons, too, on that site. And if you're not taking a generic and you're taking a brand name, find out if there is a generic. That That's step one right there. Yeah, ask the question. I mean, if you've been on a medication for a long period of time, uh, branded medication, uh, there is the potential that there's going to be a generic out there. Right. It could have come off patent. Uh, yeah, if they've fallen off patent. And the price savings alone can be tremendous. I mean, 80% uh, to 90% for regular, typical generic drugs. And I mean, if you take a, a, a high cost biologic medicine too, you may soon be able to you know, request biosimilars that they're not exact replicas of those brand name drugs, but they work very similarly to them. Um, and the FDA is getting, you know, much more willing to approve those drugs, and those could offer, you know, savings too. I, I think thirty to forty percent. Right, that's what they're estimating. Um, you mentioned Costco, and before we totally abandon that name, I just found this out. But apparently, Costco's pharmacy is open to non-members. Anybody can go. That is pretty awesome. I mean, I know for a fact that most of my family gets their prescription medications from Costco because it is significantly cheaper. And I always thought, oh, well, it's because they're they're members. But no, anybody can go in there. Yeah, anybody can go in there. So, I mean, call around. I mean, you can reach the pharmacies and call around and say, I, listen, I need to get this prescription filled. How much would, you co would, it, would it cost me? And they'll tell you. I mean, there, there's other things that you can do to reduce your costs on prescription drugs as well. I mean, you can get 90-day prescriptions 
instead of 30-day prescriptions, which is, can sometimes call, uh, save you money on co-pays. Also, um, if you're in a plan like mine that uh, maybe doesn't have the best drug coverage, ask your pharmacy how much the cash price is rather than running it through your insurance. Because you might find that the cash price is cheaper than it would be if you run it through your insurance. And I think that's a good pro tip. Another thing that you can look into is a mail order pharmacy. Sometimes these will offer you three month supplies for the price of one. So that can be a pretty big uh, money saver as well. So, uh, next, next topic that I thought we should bring up is preventative care. There are so many free screenings and vaccines and things that you can get through your health plan or through work that are so important towards saving you money in the long run. Have you gotten your flu shot yet, Christine? I am scheduled to get one in a few weeks. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You can walk right in or go to your primary care. You can walk right into a pharmacy. I go to Rite Aid. I sit there for five minutes. They come over. They give me the and it doesn't cost me a dime, right? And, and that to me that that keeps me healthier, uh, and I'm able to work more, right? Because I mean the other part of this too is you know you don't want to miss days of work um, because you're not feeling well uh, either. So you've got preventative care. You can go to your primary care physician and get a checkup every year. You've got these different um, options like you just mentioned. You know one thing that I did recently and I didn't even know uh, until I asked my doctor was that the local hospital in my area provides uh, one day a week this very big discount on getting ultrasounds for your carotid arteries. So, you know, I've got that uh, carotid artery diseases in, the, in my family history. I was able to go in and get, you know, thousands of dollars worth of testing for 75 bucks. So it does help to, you know, talk very openly and honestly with your primary care physician and just ask different questions, you know, what, what kind of options are out there that could save me money. Another thing to look into is your workplace wellness. Most, maybe not most, I think actually the number is 40%. 40% of large employers offer some sort of discount for participating in a workplace wellness program. And it makes sense from the employer standpoint, too. Apparently, every $1 of a workplace wellness program cost saves approximately $3.27 on medical costs. So it's quite likely that you can get either money back through your employer or you can find things. I'm actually getting my flu shot through the Motley Fool's annual wellness fair. So good to look into that sort of benefit and see what's available to you. Right. Larger employers will oftentimes do these kind of things. Um, and it's important to make sure that you're, you're checking your human resource newsletter, if you will, to find out what kind of things are available to you and making the most of them. You know, I, don't, I also don't want to forget the, the, the whole concept, too. If, if an emergency strikes, uh, but it's not a life-threatening emergency, um, there are more and more options popping up in local communities every day uh, rather than the emergency room. We have urgent care centers all over our area, for example. Um, and my son actually just fell off his bike and uh, and needed some care. And we were able to go over and within you know less than an hour uh, for a sixty dollars copay, uh, make sure that he didn't have any broken bones. And that would be way cheaper than the hospital, I'm assuming. Absolutely. Right. Um, another thing along that vein is to make sure that you know which hospitals are in network in case you actually do need to go to a hospital. It's it's good to have done that research beforehand. Yeah, you know, it gets so confusing. We're going to talk a lot about insurance. Maybe we're moving that way already. Um, it, there's so many different moving pieces, uh, and having a little bit of education ahead of time can be very helpful, um, not only for those kind of like emergency situations, but even things like lab work. 
Um, there could be very, very drastic differences in how much you'll end up having to pay out of pocket depending on whether or not your insurer um, has a preferred lab that they'd rather you use and you end up using something else. Right. So let's talk a little bit more about insurance. I think one of the the things that you're kind of hinting at is that there are so many moving parts to consider when you look at what you'll actually pay, um, even with an insurance plan. I mean, it's very easy to focus just on your premiums, but there are so many other costs that end up coming out of your pocket. Oh, yeah, it's tremendous. I think that the most of us tend to look at our healthcare costs when we're healthy as simply being, oh my God, my premiums, right? I have mm-hmm. to pay these monthly premiums every, and that's, that's 100% of your focus is how much are my premiums? The problem with focusing too much on premiums is, how's that saying go, Christina? Penny wise, pound foolish? Is that it? Sure. Yeah, sure. Um, what happens is that you may be saving money in the premiums side of things, but if you do end up requiring healthcare, you could end up getting stung by going with a low premium uh, insurance plan that ends up having, you know, a higher deductible or higher co-pays or higher co-insurance or a higher out-of-pocket maximum. Yes, that is absolutely true. And uh, so you mentioned deductibles. Um, this is the amount of money that you have to pay towards your plan out of pocket before the plan starts to kick in. There is one really, really good option for plans that have high deductibles, and this is to set up a health savings account or an HSA. Todd, do you want to talk a little bit about those? This is one of the single best um, money saving strategies that I think anybody who has access to a, a high deductible health care plan uh, can take advantage to save. This is it's, HSAs are wonderful. Can you tell I like them? Oh, yeah, just a little bit. <laughs> All right. I do, too. They, they actually are wonderful. Yeah, it allows you to take pre-tax dollars and set them aside in an account. Oftentimes, you can invest in that account and earn interest on. Okay, so set it aside in an account and then use it Oftentimes, they'll issue you a debit card. Use it to pay for your co-pays, your co-insurance, your dental visits, your vision care, your kids' braces. I mean, healthcare costs that otherwise you would be paying with after-tax dollars. Um, there are some restrictions, though. I mean, these HSAs, as we've already said a couple times, they're only available with high deductible health insurance plans, which means that a lot of people who have employer-sponsored health insurance won't have access to HSAs. You never know until you ask, though. So it's very important to take a look and make sure um, that you qualify for an HSA before setting it up. But find out. Find out if you can, because if you can, it's a great way to sock away thousands of dollars uh, in pre-tax money that can be used to, to cover health care expenses. And all of the details on qualification can be found on the IRS website. But the important one to note is the deductible uh, number that you have to meet. It has to be 1300 for an individual or 2600 for a family. Um, one of the really great things about HSAs is it's not use it or lose it, meaning you put that money in year in, year out, and you don't have to use it in a given year which this is important because this directly contrasts to an FSA, which is a flexible spending account. This is also something that goes through your employer, and it's also a good tax-saving mechanism. It's money that you contribute pre-tax, and you can use it throughout the year, but you can only really use it in the year that you contributed it. Sometimes you can carry over $500 from one year to the next, but in general, 
you need to spend it during that year. Right. What's great about FSAs, and I love these just as much as I like HSAs. What's great about FSAs is that if you don't qualify for a high deductible plan, you do qualify for a flex spending account. So yes. you you may not be able to contribute to the HSA because your health insurance you know doesn't qualify. But if you have very good health insurance and you have low deductible, then you can do the FSA. And in 2017, you can put $2,550 in pre-tax money into this account. And if you've got a family of four, you may be spending $1,000 alone just in dentist visits. So, you know, there's a pretty good likelihood of, of being able to use $2,500 in a, in a given year on out-of-pocket expenses that otherwise wouldn't be covered by insurance. And yet, surveys show that about 80% of employees that have this available to them ignore the benefit. And I, I can sort of see why it's kind of daunting to put this money in and, oh, but you know, if you don't spend it, you lose it. But if you look at the list of things that count as a, a qualified healthcare expenditure, you can spend that money on sunscreen, uh, shoe inserts, first aid kits. There are so many things that if you actually make it to the end of the year and have too much left, you can spend that money on useful things. Yeah, I mean, and also, you, I mean, if you have elective procedures, I mean, if you've got a lot of extra money kicking around at the end of a, of a, of a year with your FSA, you would be, you could pull uh, an elective procedure forward and maybe, you know, take care of that. Um, you know, the, so FSAs, uh, I think, are a great way to lower your taxable income, right, to get a tax benefit, and then to, to pay for your, uh, to essentially get a discount on every, all the healthcare services that you're buying throughout the year. And if you're in the 25% tax bracket, you know, that's that's an extra couple hundred to five hundred dollars a year in savings, depending if we're talking FSA or HSA, could be even more. Right. And speaking of taxes, you actually can use some medical expenses to save on taxes. Wanna explain how? Right. Before I jump to that though, quick, I don't think we mentioned the HSA contribution limits. Um, the, the HSA, you can contribute uh, 3400 in 2017 if you're an individual, 6750 if you're a family. So there's, there's a lot of money that, that you can sock away in those HSAs. Good to know. As far as the tax advantages are concerned, um, it really only comes into play uh, as far as your medical costs if you itemize your deductions on your taxes. Now, many Motley Fool listeners probably do, but nationwide, uh, I think it's only one in three that actually itemize. If you do itemize, then and your medical expenses uh, are more than 10% of your um, adjusted gross income, then you can write, you can take a deduction for those expenses. So make sure that you're keeping very close track of what you're spending throughout the course of the year. At the end of the year, you total everything up. I mean, the mileage driving to the doctor, you name it. Uh, total it all up and see you know whether or not you qualify for this deduction because if you do even if you can you know deduct a couple thousand dollars um you know that's that's extra money that can end up in your pocket rather than say an uncle sam's and this could be a particularly good tip if you are about to retire in that year because if you end up retiring part of the way through a year, you will have lower income for that year as a whole. So you might be able to deduct more of those medical expenses than you otherwise would have been able to. Right. Think about things like joint replacement, right? As you, as you get into your 50s and your early 60s, and maybe you're, you're contemplating whether or not you need to have uh, a knee replacement or something. 
Um, maybe you don't have to, if, if it's late in the year, maybe you want to push it off to the year that you retire so that, you know, you're only showing your social security income and therefore more of it maybe theoretically can, can be deducted. Right. So do we want to move on to saving money on healthcare in retirement or are there more things still to say about employer type coverage? Well, you know, there are a couple things probably that, uh, in, uh, that everybody should know, um, about, HSAs before we, we totally leave them alone. You really um, do love them. <laughs> I, I do because there are a lot of things. There are a lot of a lot of ways to stash money in these. You know, if you're over 55 years old, you can do a catch-up contribution. You can throw an additional thousand dollars into this plan. And you know, you mentioned earlier that you don't have to. It's not use it or loser. Use use it or lose it with HSAs. So you might want to look at it and say, okay, well. If I'm going to max out my retirement plan through work, say my 401k, to lower my taxes, then why wouldn't I also max out my contribution to the HSA to further lower my tax bill? And then consider my HSA contributions as almost like a, uh, a savings account total, totally for my health care. Because as we move later into life, you can then tap all of that money that's rolled over to pay for some of these expenses. Right. So, so yeah. you, you can't contribute post-Medicare, but you can still use the money. Exactly. You will not be able to continue to contribute to the HSA program. Um, well, there's another pro tip we'll get to in a second on that. But, but yeah, you, you, but you can still tap into it and use that money. And you can even use it to pay your Medicare uh, Part B and Part, B, Part D uh, premiums. What was the pro tip you're about to share? Well, if you have a spouse who's less, who isn't on Medicare, it, so let's say you had a high deductible plan. You've been contributing to your HSA all along. You turn 65 and you now qualify for Medicare. Your employer will not be able to make contributions uh, on your behalf to an HSA. However, your spouse could open up their own HSA and as long as they're still covered by that same insurance plan, contribute the family amount to an HSA that's now in her name. And that HSA money could then be used to cover both you, even though you're on Medicare, and her expenses. Which is pretty awesome. And so we just did an entire show about Medicare. Something that we missed in that show was Medigap. If you're on Medicare, you can consider getting Medigap coverage, which is supplemental insurance, to help pay for some of the expenses that original Medicare doesn't cover. So this would be your co-pays, co-insurance, deductibles. Uh, it pretty much gives you a cap on your out-of-pocket maximum spending, which can be enormously comforting. Right. I think that a lot of people forget that you know there is no cap to your Medicare spending, right? Uh, Part A, which will cover hospitalizations, after you reach a certain number of days in the hospital, you're going to be on the hook for the cost. Part B, you've got to pay 20% coinsurance for Part B coverage after you've met your deductible, uh, and, and that's not capped as well. Medigap plans are great because they help you better understand how much you're spending in any given year on your health care. There are 10 different plan types. The most common of those types is Plan F. And Plan F is most common because it, it covers all of the out-of-pocket costs that you might have otherwise uh, be on the hook for in Part A and Part B. The plans aren't cheap, necessarily. Uh, they're going to run you between 100 and 300 bucks a month. Um, but they will at least allow you to know what your healthcare spending could be in any given year. And let me give you a real-time example of why that's important. 
2015, my mother was diagnosed surprisingly with a rare form of lymphoma, a fast-moving rare form of lymphoma. She ended up, fortunately, having Medicare and Medigap. Her out-of-pockets were virtually nil. And because you're getting care at Medicare, from Medicare and Medi- you know, doctor, you can go to any doctor, wherever you want to go, as long as they accept Medicare. So um, Medigap can provide a very important safety net for you know, a surprise diagnosis. And with 76 million baby boomers getting older every day, you know, the incidence rates of things like Alzheimer's disease and, and uh, cancer and those kind of things, um, you know, the, the likelihood of being getting a diagnosis like that is increasing. And I think it's really hard for people approaching retirement age to truly estimate their retirement costs. I mean, it's, it's tough to look at the, the numbers and the incidence rates and plan for that properly. I mean, I think one of the things that people forget about the most is the cost of long-term care. But 70% of people turning 65 this year will require long-term care. Long-term care is another way that you can prepare or at least know what you're spending in every any given year. You know, unfortunately, you've got conditions like Alzheimer's that because we're living longer, more and more millions and millions of people are, are, are suffering from. And while we may think that our, our families are going to take care of us, we have to ask the question, do we really want them to have to do things like bathe us and, and take care of our bathroom activities and the, you know, the things of daily life that maybe we won't be able to, to take care of on our own? The cost of, of, of long-term care is very high. It's I huge. Mean, if, if you have an in-home aid, it's going to cost you, I think it's like $3,800 a month. Um, if you have to go into assisted living, it's going to cost even more than that. If eventually you end up in a nursing home, it could cost you seven or eight thousand dollars a month for right. that care. And with with retirement savings being so small, uh, you know, I, I think a lot of people think, oh, Medicare will take care of that cost for me, or Medicaid will take care of that cost for me. The reality is, is that Medicare has a very limited amount of care that they will take care of for you. And Medicaid will force you to draw down all of your assets to about, I think, like 2,000. Some states are a little bit different before, you know, you qualify for coverage. And then even if you qualify for coverage, Medicaid can go out and attach a lien to your house uh, to recoup the money after you pass away. So you're still worrying about your medical care and your expenses even at that point. It's crazy. Right. In long-term care, I mean, it's... It is expensive. It's going to cost a few thousand dollars, but a pro tip here is to apply for it when you're in your 50s. Um, very few percentage-wise people get rejected when they apply for this in their 50s, um, and and you know once you have it, um, you can continue to have it. But if you wait and you until you're 70 and your health isn't good, there's a good likelihood that they're just they won't even underwrite you. Right. So this has already been a longer episode, so I'm going to close us out soon. But is there anything else that we may have missed along the way? I'm sure there are. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Okay. No, I, I, I'll phrase it differently. Yeah. Maybe what is the most important thing that we missed? Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping that maybe our listeners will, will reach out to us and maybe tell us some of their money-saving tips for healthcare, and and you know we can we can kind of put that out there at a, at a later date. You know, I, I think that everybody should always be asking questions about their health care. You know, are, are these tests necessary? Is this lab work necessary? 
um, they should be considering, you know, unique provider options. You know, it, it doesn't make sense to go to a minute clinic if I'm having flu symptoms rather than my primary care doctor. Should I consider a telehealth visit uh, offered through my insurance uh, company with a doctor to discuss the fa my, my flu symptoms and maybe I save some money that way. So, you know, there are a lot of different considerations and a lot of different tips. And I'm sure we, we barely scratched the surface. Last question for you, Todd, and it might seem like a kind of random one. When's your birthday? <laughs> December 8th. All right. So, listeners, if your birthday is also December 8th, it is a sign that you should review us. Please leave us a rating on iTunes or wherever it is that you listen. It'll take just a few minutes, and it's super helpful. It helps us get some feedback on the show, and it also allows us to reach more and more foolish investors who can hopefully get tips on saving on their medical bills and all of the other things that we talk about on this show. One last fun tidbit before we sign off. If you're interested in punching <laughs> pharma bro Martin Shkreli, remember that name, in the face, here is your opportunity. Martin Shkreli tweeted earlier this week that he is auctioning one slap or punch in the face to benefit the surviving family of his formal uh, public relations consultant who recently passed away. So check out his Twitter page. There's a link on there. This is an actual thing as far as I can tell. And while you're on Twitter, you can follow us at MF Industry Focus. And as usual, you can email us at industryfocus at fool.com if you have any healthcare tips that we may have missed and maybe we can share them on a future show. As always, people on the program may have interests in the stocks that they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. For Todd Campbell, I'm Christine Hargis. Thanks for listening, and Fool on!